Theology of the Body Institute. This is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome to the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hosted by my beloved Wendy West. Great to be here with you all. We have a really special episode today. We were very blessed to receive an envelope full of podcast questions that had been sent by the confirmation class at St. James the Greater Catholic Church in Charlestown, West Virginia. Hey, everybody. St. James the Greater, thank you so much. That was the fir- first questions we received, actually, a hard copy in the mail. That's right. That was pretty exciting. Yeah. So we thought we kind of had to go there because they went to that extra effort to do that. Yeah, that's pretty special. So we're excited to answer the kids' questions. They're preparing for their confirmation and have really good questions for us. And we've been talking recently, we've had some family conversations about the sacrament of confirmation and kind of the challenges that come with maybe receiving confirmation in a certain grade and do we always understand what this sacrament is and it brought up a memory you had of a friend's confirmation that I thought might be fun for you to yeah. share about it. A friend of mine came into the church. This was probably 1992. So you mean a convert? He was a convert, right. So he was getting confirmed at the Easter vigil. It was not you know, the typical when the bishop shows up and right. okay. 300 eighth graders are getting confirmed. But it was his confirmation. He was coming into the church, getting confirmed in the church. And this night had a really huge impact in my life, uh, on my life. I remember him standing up there at the altar saying, I believe and profess everything the Catholic Church believes and professes. He was confirmed in his faith and expressed that communion with the church. And then having been confirmed, then he received his first communion in the church. It was the first time I realized that when you receive communion, you are expressing that you're in communion. It's kind of a, I should have realized that sooner. You know, but we have those epiphanies. Yeah, we have those epiphanies. So I was was 22 or 23, I guess, and I had this epiphany. I don't believe and profess everything the Catholic Church believes Mm. and professes. Mm -hmm. I was confirmed when I was 14, and I remember my mom... Uh, got me a Bible for my confirmation present, and we were going through a religious catalog. She was asking me, what kind of Bible would you like, this one or that one? And I said, Mom, I'm not going to read it. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I don't care which Bible you get me. I'm not going to read it. And she said, well, maybe you shouldn't get confirmed if you're not interested in reading the scriptures. And and she really had a point. I think a lot Mm. of us just kind of go through the motions Mm. of our faith, and we don't really know what we're saying or maybe don't believe what we're saying. And so anyway, this night when my friend came Can in... Can I just say something yeah, about please. that real quick? Because you did go on to be confirmed, and you did receive graces, whether or not you were That's really right. aware or disposed to it. They were given to you. That is a very good point. And the Lord did lead you to read the Scripture. I mean... That's, thank you for... So. Yes. So even if we're maybe not well disposed mm-hmm. to those graces, they are given. Yeah. And maybe they lie dormant for a while, but they, there's no doubt in my mind that the sacrament of confirmation has borne yes. tremendous fruit Absolutely. in my life. It just took me a while to get in a zone where I wanted to cooperate That's with right. those graces. Yeah, and, and this other and story relates to that, that. You're exactly right. It does, because this, this was a working of grace for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe, who knows? I'm just putting this together right now. But maybe this was the grace of my confirmation kind of 
giving me a little yeah. kick in the butt. Because mm-hmm. what happened that night was I didn't go to communion. Oh, wow. Because I realized I was not in communion. Because mm. there was that blasted teaching on contraception that I had been wrestling with mm-hmm. and didn't really believe what the church believed. Mm-hmm. And I realized that night it would be a lie for me to go to communion. Mm-hmm. I'm not in communion. And that was when I really, I said to myself, like made a commitment, I have to come to terms with why the church teaches this or, and then be in communion, or I just have to be honest and recognize that I'm protesting this teaching and that mm. really makes me a protestant. Right. And so I saw it. That was the beginning of a real earnest journey to understand the church's teaching, mm-hmm. which led me to the theology of the body and John Paul's explanation of it, and mm-hmm. my world was rocked. Mm. So the grace of that experience yeah, is still bearing fruit in my life. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks be to God. Yes. I'm so thankful. So if there's anybody out there right now, and you're, li- you're listening, and you're thinking, well, I don't agree with everything. That, does that mean I shouldn't receive the Eucharist? Well, I am not your conscience. I am not trying to be your conscience. But I, I will say this. Ask any question you have about what the church teaches. The truth is not afraid of your questions. The question is, are we afraid of the truth? I do, I do believe, and this, you know, if we understand what the Eucharist is, what we're saying is we are in communion with the church when we receive communion in the church. So I just hold it out to you. Ask yourself, should you be receiving communion if you're not in communion? I'll let you guys answer that question for yourselves. Okay. Thanks. I want to start with these questions yeah, let's from do these it. students. We're so grateful to you each for the questions you sent. First one, and they're all anonymous, of course. What can you do? If your friends aren't Catholic and they believe in different things and they start to talk about it around you, abortion, for example, what can you say to them? I'm I'm hesitating here because I I didn't want to just launch into it without just a a prayerfulness because our job is not to be the Catholic answer man where we have all the ready-made answers and we're polished and professional in the way we, you know, that's, that's not what we should expect of one another. We should, as Scripture invites us to, we should have uh, an ability to explain to others the reason for our hope. Mm -hmm. But when we just come like hammering away, well, this and that, the church, if if that's our approach, our attitude, we're not going to get very far. So I think the most important thing is the disposition of our hearts. I was in a great conversation with my, our son, John Paul, yesterday, and an intern for the Theology of the Body Institute named mm-hmm. Brendan, and we were talking about uh, the Socratic method. Uh, our son, John Paul, loves Socrates, mm-hmm. and, and I studied a lot of philosophy back in the day, but it's been 25 years, and I've forgotten a lot, so I was really enjoying what John Paul was saying about how Socrates would engage with people in, in philosophical conversations. And... The Socratic method is really to ask questions mm-hmm. that lead the people you're in conversation with to the answer on their on their own. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't if we come across as imposing a vision or we come across in a dogmatic, you know, you can't possibly be a real human being if you think such and such and such. And such I don't think we're going to get very far. But we can say questions or we can pose questions that 
get people to reflect. Mm -hmm. For example, if the topic is abortion, mm -hmm. do you think a human being has the right to kill another innocent human being? Right. So language like that is important. Innocent, that qualifier is in, innocent is important because we do have a right to defend ourselves mm -hmm. against an attacker mm -hmm. that's not an innocent human being. But if we can have a conversation about, do you think it's okay to kill an innocent human being? 98% mm -hmm. of humanity will agree it is not right ever to kill an innocent human being. Okay, so we start with that and then we go on from that. What's going on in the womb? Mm -hmm. Is that an innocent human being? Uh, we don't have to draw people's conclusions for them, right. but we can have conversations in which we, we gently provoke. And when I say provoke, I don't mean that in a sense of you know, nagging at somebody, but we, we provoke truth out of people's hearts by reflecting together on the nature of reality. That's what we can do. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as we're growing in our faith, each one of us sometimes says things that we wish we'd said differently. Mm -hmm. You still do that now Absolutely. and you've been a professional speaker. So we have to forgive ourselves. We have to kind of remember that there's good in everyone and in your friends, even if they're saying things that seem very contrary and are very contrary to your faith, that they may not recognize the implications or what they are really saying so we can forgive them and we can pray for them, but we can also forgive ourselves if we feel like we've made mistakes to keep going, keep lifting our own hearts and lives and relationships up to the Lord in prayer. And to have, this is another thing I was talking with our son, John Paul and, and Brendan about yesterday, that Socrates had compassion for those who we're ignorant, and ignorant here does not, it's not a derogatory statement. Mm -hmm. You are ignorant. No, not that, but ignorant just means they don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, and when you don't know, you don't know. If you don't know that you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> uh, and there are a lot of things we don't know. Of course. And we need to be compassionate on ourselves and compassionate with others. There, are, And we have to recognize we live in a world that is bombarding us with propaganda that takes us in a very contrary direction and a very different view of the world. But with little insightful questions, you can start to probe at that propaganda and get people to think. That's our job, to get people to think. I have one quick affirmation for the questioner that wrote that question. That I liked that you said, if your friends aren't Catholic, because I think it just indicates that in your heart, somewhere you are identifying, I am Catholic. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing to take with you in life and in relationships to own that and not have shame about that, to realize it's a source of strength and Amen. a beautiful thing. So I'm praising God for that. Next question. How do you know the love between a husband and wife is real? Or it may mean, how do you know if the love between a husband and wife is real? I'm not sure. Sometimes people mean different things, but... Their words. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's about marriage and love. I wonder if this questioner, I'm just surmising here, sure. could mm -hmm. be totally off. So if I'm totally off here, forgive me, but I'm reading in a little bit to the question. I'm wondering if this young person is wondering if his or her parents really love one another. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some struggles going on there and. Maybe you're in a place of, of fear or insecurity about whether or not your parents really love one another. Mm -hmm. 
I know that place, if that's the place you're in. I, I want to talk here in, in response about how beautiful things can grow in the midst of real brokenness and woundedness. Mm-hmm. I know you love me, mm-hmm. and I know you know that I love you. Yes. And I know that you know, and you know that I know that we're both really broken human beings. We are. And our love is real, but we've also hurt one another. Mm-hmm. We've also felt unloved by one another, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. You have not loved me perfectly. I have not loved you perfectly. And that's life. That's reality. I think of my own family history here. My grandparents, my father's parents, were both alcoholics. Mm. My dad tells stories of memories when he was a boy of coming home from school and there was violence in the home uh, because his parents were both drunk. Mm. And his mother would be wearing thick sunglasses because she had bruises on her face from an abusive husband. This is my grandfather. So you look at that and you say, does this man love his wife? Why would he? Well, clearly that kind of behavior is not an example of real love. No. It is not. And yet in that broken, broken relationship, there were elements of love that enabled them to grow, to mature. Eventually both of them became sober. And my grandfather always said, Ever since I was a little boy, I remember him saying, I can't live without her. I can't live without her. If she dies before me, I'm going to die right away because I can't live without her. And sure enough, 2002, she died. I forget the exact day, February. Do you remember the exact day, love? It's January 19th. Oh, January 19th. You're good good with those dates. (laughs) January 19th, my grandmother died at 1 a.m. at the age of 80-something or other. I don't remember. And he found out the news. Or maybe he didn't even find out exactly. No, I don't. Yeah. He was in a different room because he was suffering with dementia and whatever else. But somehow in his spirit, he must have known because he died just a few hours later. Mm-hmm. She died first, he died a few hours later. Yeah. And when that news spread around our family, nobody was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. We were just like, yeah, that's what he always said. Mm. So there was a deep bond. There was a deep bond and real love in the midst of real brokenness. Mm -hmm. And guess what? That's the way it is with everybody. You and I are really broken. We're not, Mm -hmm. you know, thanks be to God. I've never swung a punch at you or something. It's not that. That's not how our brokenness has manifested itself. But I want to say to this questioner, number one, is love possible? Is love real? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't come without working through our real brokenness. And guess what? The love comes even through our brokenness. The weeds and the wheat grow together in all of us. This is right out of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In all of us, the good wheat of the gospel will be intermingled, which is to say the good wheat of love, because that's Mm -hmm. what the gospel is all about. Love one another as I have loved you. Uh, There will be, with that real love, there will be weeds that are intermingled until the end of time. Mm -hmm. So in answer to the question, how do you know? I would say just because you recognize weeds doesn't mean there, there isn't real wheat. Yeah. We shouldn't have a fantasy idea of what love looks like. Uh, sometimes it's pretty darn messy because we're pretty darn messy. 
I think there's a beautiful thing that just came out in your answering that question, Christopher, is just that this question about how do you know about the love of a husband and wife if it's real, it kind of like just naturally pointed us to our need for a savior without the person asking the question probably didn't really see that, but it does. It points us to the fact that we're made in God's image, that we desire to love, but that we're fallen, that we struggle to love, that every one of us are going to be in situations where we have to face our weakness and our inabilities and we're going to need grace, you know, which is what we're receiving in all sacraments in confirmation in in the sacrament of marriage. So I think all that is really, it's powerful how a simple question points us to so many important points. To draw more out of what you're just saying there, Wendy, it, it opens up the whole reality of the gospel to us, that there is an original beautiful plan of love this is why we're here on planet Earth, to, to live in that love, to rejoice in that love, to drink in that love, to share that love. But then things went wrong. Something went wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called the fall. Right. There's, there's a tendency in us away from the truth of love. And Jesus addresses this in the gospel when the Pharisees come and they say, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife? Moses allowed us to. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus says, Moses allowed you to divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. In other words, there's something wrong in our hearts. When our hearts are hardened, we're not open to receiving divine love. And the purpose of the marital relationship is to share that divine love with one another. But you cannot give what you do not have. But the next line here of Jesus is so important. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, it was not so. Mm -hmm. And the implication here, here's the good news. Christ comes into the world, the catechism tells us, to restore creation to the purity of its origins. And where did Jesus perform his first miracle? At a wedding. At a wedding. And what's he doing there? He's there to restore God's wine to the marital relationship, which is to say God's love. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's open up and drink that love. And talking about confirmation, let me connect some dots. Oh, yes, go ahead. (laughs) You know how much wine Jesus brought to this wedding? If you do the math, there are six stone jars, each containing about 25 gallons. That's 150 gallons at least of this awesome wine. Translate that into bottles. That's about 750 bottles of the best wine imaginable. The goal of the Christian life from this perspective is to get totally plastered on God's wine, to be drunk, to be intoxicated on the Spirit. Mm-hmm. As St. Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, get drunk on the Spirit. This is what Pentecost, this is what confirmation is all about. Mm-hmm. Opening to that new wine. Yes. So I say to that person who asked this question, is love possible? Yes, but not if we do not open to that new wine. Or it's possible only if we open to that new wine and drink it in. So drink in the graces of your confirmation. Go where they lead you. And where they will lead you is into the power to love, not only despite our brokenness, but in and th- even in and through and in the midst of our brokenness, we learn to love. Can I go to the next question? Yes, please do. Where in the Bible exactly does it say gays and bi's and trans are bad? Where does it say gays and bi's and trans are bad? You will never find that statement in the Bible. In fact, what you will find is that God looked at everything he made and found it very good. Mm -hmm. 
This is the biblical foundation for everything. God, everything God made, behold, it is very good. But if we keep reading, we discover we're also tragically fallen. So basic Catholic teaching, every human being is fundamentally good, but also, ever since original sin, we are tragically fallen. The question really is this, what part of our humanity that we experience on this fallen side of things, what part of that is part of the fundamental goodness, and what part of our humanity that we experience in our desires, in our attractions, in our makeup, what part of that is part of our fallen humanity? There was an original plan from which we have all fallen. So the question is really, is homosexual attraction, is that experience of being bisexual, is the experience of being transsexual, is this part of that original goodness of God's original plan, or is this a fruit of the fall? Mm -hmm. We all have desires in our lives that are part of the fall. Uh, it's not part of God's original good plan. That does not mean we are no longer fundamentally good. No, we are fundamentally good, but we're also tragically fallen. And we have to take an honest look at what we experience and ask, does that come from the goodness or does that come from our fallenness? Mm -hmm. The good news is Christ came into the world to restore the original plan. That's the miracle and message of the gospel. But if we, if we say our brokenness is the way God made us, that's when we get into trouble. Mm -hmm. So all of us, all of us are broken. There, this is very important. There's a push in the modern world, which I really understand, and I think it is half right. Or let me put it this way. The push itself is right, but the, the solution is the wrong solution to the problem. The push that I believe is right is... There's no such thing as a human being that's better than another human being. Mm -hmm. There is a, a, an equal playing field, if you will. We're all on, on the same ground here. But the conclusion that is drawn to get us all on that same ground in the modern world typically goes like this. You're okay and I'm okay. Uh, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with me. Don't tell me there's something wrong with anything that I think and I won't tell you there's anything wrong with anything that you think or the way you behave is fine and the way I behave is fine. So that does get us on, on the same ground, if you will, the same level mm -hmm. ground. But I, I don't think it's the right ground. And I don't think experience backs it up. There's something wrong with the world. There's something broken in the way we hurt one another as human beings and the way we live as human beings. Back to the wheat and the weeds. There's wheat in everybody. But there's also weeds in everybody. I think the real proper level playing field, if you will, is not you're okay, I'm okay, but I'm broken and you're broken. I'm in need of res restoration in my heart of God's original plan, and so are you. I have sexual attractions and desires in me that are off, uh, and I need to be healed there. So I would just put it this way. Since original sin, we are all sexually disoriented. Mm -hmm. All of us. And the good news of the gospel is that Christ came into the world 
to restore in all of us the original plan. He wants to recreate us. He wants to remake us. And when we dig our heels in and say, no, this attraction I have or this behavior I want to engage in is the way God made me, the sadness of that is that I'm forfeiting the opportunity to be remade, to be restored in the original plan of God for our humanity. Oftentimes when we are trying to define our humanity, we don't go back deep enough. We don't go back to the original plan. We start with our broken experience of our humanity. When we start with the fall, as if that's what defines us, our fallen desires, our disordered desires, we haven't gotten to the deeper truth of who we really are as men and women made in the image and likeness of God. In God's original plan, all that existed was, was male and female. When we come up with these other categories of, no, I'm not a man, I'm not a woman, I'm, I'm this or I'm that, and we, we're making up all kinds of names and the acronym keeps getting longer, <laughs> uh, LBGTQ, and we'll keep adding to that because there's no limit here when we divorce ourselves from the original reality of God's plan. The bad news is we're all broken. The bad news is we're all disordered in our desires. The good news is Christ loves us right there and has a perfect plan to restore in us his original beautiful vision for our humanity. And we, we need to say, please restore me. Yeah, I think that you can relate to in your own experience in confronting even just the fallen behavior, sexual behavior of people who don't have a homosexual Correct. leaning and, and a crying out to God in your own life. You've shared that story before about God, do you have a plan? Yes. Yes. And I think one of the keys for young people who are experiencing so many messages and pressure from friends and all kinds of things coming at you saying, it's fine to be gay, it's fine to be bisexual, it's fine to be transsexual. People who don't think so are closed-minded, they're saying they're bad. All those messages that are they're coming at you, underlying all of that is a, is a claim that we get to make ourselves. That's right. That's we right. aren't made by someone. That's right, Wendy. We're making ourselves as we wish. And so that fundamental belief as Catholics, as Christians, that we have received our being from our creator is like you're just going to keep finding how important that is as you go through life you're just going to keep coming back to it it's so important for all the decisions you make in life to recognize that you've been created by god that he has a good plan yes that he's faithful yes he can be trusted and you don't have to be ashamed of being yourself, knowing that God isn't ashamed of you, loves you, wants to pour his grace into your heart, wants to make your life a beautiful gift to the world. So I think all of that is in this question, and it's, it's really important. That is a, a very important point, because it really does pivot right here. Am I the designer of my own humanity, or is my humanity a gift that's been given and the gift that has been given can only be understood by going back to the beginning mm -hmm. when it was given. God gave us freedom and human beings have used their freedom in ways that, you know, it's a mystery. This idea of original sin is a mystery, but it's 
proven by human experience that there's something off in us. Why, why do we have to fight selfishness? Why do we have to fight pride? Why do we have to fight ego? There's something off. And, and when we look at the world trying to get to the roots of why is there something off, eventually we have to reckon with the fact that we can't just wag fingers at others. Say, you're the one that's off. You're the one that's off. You're the one that's wrong. You're... We eventually have to look in the mirror and say, wow, oh, shoot, there's something off in me. Mm-hmm. There's something off in me. It's okay that we're broken. It's okay that we're broken because we're loved there and God has a plan to remake us. But it's not okay to call our brokenness health. And that's what we're doing when we call things in us that are, are the result of original sin, of the fall. Uh, when we say, that's the way God made me, then we're forfeiting the opportunity for God to remake us because God will respect us. He's not going to remake us if we don't welcome him in there to be remade. The way God made us can only be understood by going back to the beginning. And the good news is Christ comes into the world to restore us to that original plan. I'm going to close here on this question with this quote from John Paul II. He says, You are not the sum total of your faults, failings, weaknesses, and sins. You are the sum total of the Father's love for you, and you have the real potential to become the man, the woman, the person God made you to be. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's a paraphrase, not a direct direct quote, but it's one of my favorite uh, statements from John Paul II. Mm Mm-hmm. As we finish up this podcast, we wanted to take the opportunity to share some of the reviews we've received on iTunes, which has been a blessing for us to read. Um, could you read oh, one yeah, of yeah. those? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to read this one because it's such an affirmation of you, my love. And this person is putting into words what I have felt. And just the way she says it just resonates with me. She, she says, this is Cal1969. I don't know if those are your call letters or your Twitter feed or what or why it showed up on our review, but this is what Cal1969 says. I love this podcast so much. The answers that Christopher and Wendy give are thoughtful and give such good information on teachings of the Catholic Church. These two blend so perfectly together, and here's the line I really loved. And I love Wendy's voice. It's kind (laughs) and soothing and, well, it feels like a hug. (laughs) Yes, it does. It feels like a hug. When we were falling in love and we were having those conversations, you were living in New Jersey and I was in Maryland, I would listen to the voicemails that you left me over and over and over again because I just loved the soothing hug I felt (laughs) from your voice. So then she says, I'm so glad to have found this podcast and just feel so blessed and inspired after each episode. Keep up the beautiful work. Thank you, Cal1969, for listening we, we love you, and we're so happy to be doing this. Yes, and here's a review from Chrissy Ide, who says, As I listened to this podcast, which my daughter told me about, I remembered sitting in my family room saying the rosary with a very young, beautiful, grace-filled nurse named Wendy. Uh-huh, that's an old friend of ours. Side note, she's talking about me. We <laughs> prayed for the young man named Christopher that Wendy said she thought she would one day marry. Wow, talk about grace and the feminine genius. I'm thrilled to be able to follow the rest of the story and see the giants of 
man and woman you've become in and through the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm learning so much from you, and I love you dearly. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we haven't seen you for years, but if you're out there listening, we yes. remember. Yes. You played a pivotal role. You were a grace in our lives Absolutely. at that moment when we were discerning marriage. So thank you. great to hear from you. And here's one from a Protestant Christian who's been listening to our podcast. Uh, I'm a Protestant Christian, and my life was changed four years ago when I read Christopher West's book, Theology of the Body for Beginners. I'm so passionate about, passionate about theology of the body, but haven't always known how to share it with my Protestant friends, especially those who have gotten married and are using birth control. Reading a theology book on marriage and sex, as accessible as West makes it, is not always everyone's cup of tea. Now I'm so excited to have this podcast that I will absolutely be sharing with all people I love in my life. It's so wonderful to hear Christopher and Wendy talk together about Theology of the Body. I'm confident that if my loved ones listen to even one episode, they will be more interested in taking the time to sit down, read, and consider Theology of the Body and all the beautiful things that come with understanding and integrating it into our lives. I love that. I love knowing that uh, doing this podcast together will reach new people that wouldn't have been reached in other ways. Yeah, That's a wonderful that, thought. It's so edifying to... to hear how this podcast is reaching people. We love doing it. It's it's really exciting that it's reaching people. And we have a favor to ask of you guys. It's kind of why we read some of these reviews. Uh, would you be willing to give us a review if this podcast has blessed you? And here's why. Because reviews are the number one way that our show can reach more people. It's the way it works on iTunes. The more reviews you get, the more you know, positive reviews you get, the more your podcast gets up uh, and out there in terms of search engines. And I don't know how it all works, but this is what my tech people tell me. So <laughs> we would be so grateful to you if, if you've been blessed by the podcast. Could you right now just pause? Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, you can go right there on, on your phone. It'll lead you through or on your computer. If you're not listening on iTunes, you can go to the show notes and you can just click the link there to leave a review. We would be so grateful if you did that. It would help get the show out to more and more people. And we love sharing this. We know our faithful listeners out there, you guys know how important this message is, and you know why it's important to get it out there, and that could really help us get it out there. So thanks. Yes, thank you. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope that the advice shared on this show is helpful to you, but ask you to remember that they are not licensed counselors. If you're facing serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted psychologists and counselors in the show notes. Hey, everybody. St. James the Greater. Thank you so much. That was the fir first questions we received, actually, a hard copy in the mail. That's right. That was pretty exciting. It. Yeah. It's kind and soothing and, well, it feels like a hug. 